0: Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Well friends, it really is good to be with you this morning. Uh, Would you turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Acts, we are find ourselves in Acts chapter 14 this morning, Acts chapter 14 this morning, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 14, if you're visiting with us for the first time, we're in the middle of an ongoing series considering the question how churches grow and finding the answer in the book of Acts, uh, if you need help finding the book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts in the New Testament, Take a look in your index. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to start um, in a word of prayer and then we'll get into an introduction and we'll go through the chapter as we go through the book. And so I'm going to ask if you would bow your heads and close your eyes and pray before Almighty God together with me. Father God in heaven, your word is without error, and your word is sufficient for all matters of life and godliness. Upon it, Lord God, we can stake our faith. We can build a faith that lives. It presents to us your will and your way, and it presents to us your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and our Savior. This morning, Lord God, in your word, might we see Jesus Christ. And in your word, Lord God, and from your word, might we as a church be built up that we would live lives to your praise and to your glory. This I ask in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, amen. I think as a community we are very familiar with the words of Jesus Christ called the Great Commission. The Great Commission, it's found in Matthew chapter 28 at the end of the chapter. The Great Commission goes like this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. The main verb in that sentence is make disciples. That's the main thing Jesus wants His church to do. It's the main thing that Central Baptist Church Pretoria is to do. We are to make disciples. That's why our Sunday morning service is the most important weekly event on our calendar. Because on a Sunday morning, we preach God's word and build our assembly up. That's why we have midweek, small group Bible studies to edify the saints and build them up. That's why we have Sunday school and Awana and youth and student groups to equip the next generation. Our mission is to make disciples. But don't get too comfy at home base. Jesus never intended Central Baptist Church Pretoria to make disciples in Arcadia alone, to kick back and relax. No, the, the Great Commission is a call for us to go and make disciples of all nations. And we can't go. If we're sitting in our chairs week in and week out, listening to our preachers preach, listening to our Bible study leaders teach, you've got to go to go. All Nations. Everyone. That's what Jesus wants. He, he wants us to go to everyone. All 8 billion people on planet Earth. That's impossible. Or, in the words of John Piper, that's simply outrageous. It was then when he said it, and it is now in our relativistic, multi-culture, all generations are equal age, perhaps even more so in our day than ever before. Go and tell the nations of the world that Jesus is the only way to God, that Jesus alone can forgive sins against the Creator that Jesus alone can provide righteousness before a holy judge, that only Jesus can give you eternal life. Go and tell them that. That will get you killed in some places. It is outrageous. But don't dismiss Matthew 28, the Great Commission, too quickly, I want to remind you this morning of two great truths. Great truth number one, before Jesus gave the great commission, he gave a great declaration in Matthew 28 verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. Jesus' plan to reach the nations. Jesus has a plan to reach the nations and Jesus has got all the authority he needs to get the reaching done. Great truth number two. After Jesus gave us the great commission, he made a great promise. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Matthew chapter 28, verse 20. I will be with you as you go to all nations. I will be with you as you go to everyone. I will be with you as you go to all 8 billion people on planet Earth. It's not impossible. It's not outrageous. It is audacious. And I'm going to be with you as you get it done now get going it's the great commission not the optional suggestion we are all in it you too sitting here this morning must play your part you are either a sent one or you are a sending one You're sent to preach the gospel where Christ has not already been heard, or you sending a partner to preach the gospel where Christ has not already been named. The Apostle Paul, together with Barnabas, was a sent one. And the church in Antioch was the sending one. At the beginning of Acts chapter 13, the Holy Spirit called Saul and Barnabas to a special work in spreading the gospel. And so the church in Antioch, Central Baptist Church Antioch, sent off their very best, Paul and Barnabas. And the first missionary journey began. They first went to the island of Cyprus. We heard about that two weeks ago. And after a run-in with a Jewish false prophet, they saw their first convert, a Roman proconsul. From there, they set sail to Asia Minor, and they preached in the synagogue at Antioch in Pisidia. And many believed. And the next Sabbath, almost the entire city showed up to hear them, but the Jews were jealous and so Paul declared that the message was going to be brought to Gentiles just like us. Acts chapter 13 verse 50. The Jews incited devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and they drove them out of the district. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. Which is how we arrive at chapter 14 of Acts. Acts chapter 14 begins with these words, follow them in your Bible. Now at Iconium... They entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their mind against the brothers So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the people of the city were divided some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. They learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lysonia, and to the surrounding countries. And there they continued to preach the gospel. Paul and Barnabas are hiking a Roman road. A, a, a paved highway, the, the Via Sebasta, the, the road stretched from Ephesus all the way to the Euphrates, and they've now stopped at Iconium, a large, influential Roman city, and Paul's pattern. Established in this first missionary journey is to go to cities, places of influence, places where people congregate and in those cities, if there is one, to go first to the synagogue. Paul, the apostle, says of himself that he wasn't a very eloquent man. He wasn't the greatest speaker. He was no toast master. But but that didn't stop him from proclaiming the gospel message. And while Paul himself might not have been very powerful, the gospel that he proclaimed was the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. In Iconium, He spoke in such a way that great numbers of both Jews and Gentiles believed. The church grew. But wherever and whenever the Spirit of God works drawing men into the light, you can be sure that the forces of darkness will not be far behind. In Iconium, the sons of disobedience started sowing discord. They started poisoning the mind of the Gentiles against the message, against the apostles, against the brothers. Disciple making to the ends of the earth or even down the road isn't easy. It is fraught with opposition. Sometimes when the heat is on, the call of God through his Holy Spirit is to stay and meet the challenge head on. And that's just what Paul and Barnabas did. They remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. Many years ago, 12 years ago, I was sent out by a church church to make disciples in a city called Benoni. Opposition to that ministry came in waves over that 12-year period as Liesl and I served. Opposition from within the church, opposition from without the church. It grew from a handful to hundreds of people, but Satan wasn't going to let the kingdom of light expand into his domain of darkness without putting up a fight. And so we stayed and boldly proclaimed the truth while the wicked opposed and did what they could to persecute the gospel. That's my experience of ministry. That's Paul's testimony through Luke in the book of Acts. So if it's so hard to do mission in this way, why bother? Because making disciples is the mission of the church. And while the mission might be difficult... The joy is that the mission, work, is the work of the Lord. It is work according to God's authority. It is work uh, with the Lord's presence. The mission of the church may be difficult, but it is rewarding. Now, friends, the, the gospel divides. Jesus said it would He said, do you think that I come to make peace and give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now in one house, there will be five divided, three against two. They will be divided father and son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Eventually, The division in Iconium meant that the lives of the apostles were in grave danger, and so wisdom dictated that they move on. One commentator notes that divine intervention does not eliminate human responsibility. Kent Hughes adds that Paul and Barnabas were brave, but they weren't foolish. They were born again, but they weren't born yesterday. It was time to go, and so they went. Now, they weren't skipping town to keep from preaching the gospel, but they left so that they could continue preaching it, and so they went. We pick up in verse 8. Now, at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked and he listened to Paul speaking and Paul looked intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, he said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking and the crowd saw what Paul had done and they lifted up their voices saying in Laodicean, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Paul uh, Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus whose temple was at the entrance to the city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it? They tore their garments and rushed into the crowd crying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you. We bring you good news that you should turn away from these vain things to a living God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. In past generations, He allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways, yet he did not leave himself without witness. For he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, he scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifices to them. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. And having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went with Barnabas to Derbe. You will note in verse 7 that Paul is preaching the gospel in Lystra. In this context, a man lame from birth has faith to be made well. The English Standard Version tells us that he could not use his feet. A more direct translation from the Greek would read, He had impossible feet. He was crippled from birth, he had never walked, he had impossible feet. I've watched a little Christian TV lately and I've seen snake oil salesmen walk people around stage who had probably never walked with a limp before, but now they hobble like the hunchback of Notre Dame and they sit them down and then for the first time in their life, they realize that they have one foot shorter than another foot, about half a centimetre and all of a sudden the charlatan pulls the foot and a, a big spectacle is made about a supposed healing not yet this man had impossible feet Unlike the false healers of our day, God was about to perform a miracle at the hands of the apostles that was undeniable, a miracle that was irrefutable, a miracle that would be bewildering. Jesus had healed a lame man. Peter had healed a lame man. Now, Paul heals this lame man. The same powerful spirit of God authenticated each one of them. A note on this man's faith his faith was in Jesus Christ. He had heard the gospel preached in verse 7, and now he believed that Jesus could make him well, like the woman with an issue of blood, like the man with a demon-possessed son, like the centurion with the sick servant, like the woman with a sick daughter. The object of each one's faith wasn't faith in faith. It was faith in the person of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now things get confusing. The crowd sees What Paul has done the impossible has happened right before their eyes and they get all excited they're shouting the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men and they do that in Laodicean and Paul and Barnabas don't speak Laodicean So this is all playing out in front of them and there's a little confusion until the priest of Zeus comes down the road with an oxen and it's clear he wants to sacrifice the animal and the interpreter gets the message across to the apostles that the people think that they are gods. The apostles don't even wait a split second. They spring into action to stop the people sacrificing the poor ox. They beg them to turn away, to turn away from vain idolatry and to turn to the worship of the living God. Paul, as he speaks to them, shows that behind creation there's one living God, not a multitude of powerless pagan idols. Paul shows that God grants men free choice and that he permits evil in this world. Paul shows that God will not allow evil to wipe man off the face of the earth and he wins the crowd over for just a moment because haters hate. And the haters of Christianity are so often display even more zeal than Christians themselves. Bad men will often travel further to do evil than good men will to do good. The wicked men often show more zeal in opposing the gospel than professed Christians do in advancing it. Some Jews walk the 160 kilometers from Antioch in Pisidia to harass Paul in, Derby, in, in um, um, I've lost my city. Thank you. Uh, Lystra. (laughs) In Lystra. One moment, Paul was a god to be worshipped by the Laodiceans, and the next, the Judaizers, stir up the crowd, and Paul is a criminal to be slain. And so they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city. Note the next verse carefully. The disciples gathered about him. Disciples. I don't know how much time has passed from the apostles' arrival in Lystra in verse 6, where they started preaching the gospel in verse 7, to the stoning of Paul in verse 19. But it's long enough that men and women have been saved by the preaching of the gospel. And note, saved men and women are called disciples. I think we use the term Christian of ourselves too much today. Christian is a biblical word. But it only occurs in three places in scripture. And it seems to be a term that outsiders use to talk about those who are associated with Christ. It's a term used of association with Christ. The word Christian isn't the favored biblical designation of believers. The word believers most often use of themselves in scripture is disciple. And it occurs 260 times in the New Testament. One who follows Christ. A disciple is a student. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a follower. A disciple is one who adheres completely to the teachings of another, making them his rule of life and of conduct. Discipleship is costly. Discipleship requires commitment. Discipleship requires personal sacrifice. The disciples who gather around Paul, gathered to mourn, yet their tears of sorrow are turned to joy as they realize Paul has been miraculously delivered. And so they usher him back into the city. And the next day they whisk him off to Derby, Read with me in verse 21. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the soul of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders, For them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord, in whom they had believed. In Derby, they do exactly what they have done in Lystra, in Iconium, in Antioch, in Perga, in Cyprus. They preached the gospel. And so God continues to do what God has done the whole way through the book of Acts. Save sinners. Whether Jews in Jerusalem, Romans in Antioch, or Laodiceans in Lystra and Derbe, God saves men and women from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, and the church grows. And then Paul and Barnabas do something curious. I like going on holiday. Kruger National Park is... Uh, Probably Liesel and Maya's favorite spot. But I do love Cape Town too. I love taking the road less traveled. My my family always groaned when we're heading out on holiday. Because they know I'm gonna take a little mountain pass or a dirt road. Uh, I'm gonna be off the beaten track. I'm always going to look for the adventurous route. Once Liesel and I drove to Cape Town using only dirt roads so that we could experience, so I could experience the countryside and she could sleep next to me. (laughs) But after the holiday is over, once the car is packed, when we are on the way home, we take the quickest route, the toll route, because there's no place like home. And when you're heading toward your own bed, all you want to do is get there as soon as possible. And that's not what Paul and Barnabas do. They don't take the shortest route. Uh, They've gone on a journey to Cyprus and then up into Asia Minor and they've discovered a whole lot of cities in Asia Minor. The shortest route would have been through what is called the Sicilian Gates and towards Paul's hometown of Tarshish. A pass through the Taurus Mountains connecting the Anatolian Plateau to the low plains of Cilicia by way of a narrow gorge. But instead of taking the dangerous route, uh, sorry, but instead they take the dangerous route. They go back through all the cities that they have come and face all the persecutions that they have experienced before. Why would they do that? Because Paul's mission is Jesus' mission. His mission is to make disciples. And, And so, together with Barnabas, they go through the towns and the cities, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith. Making disciples the way that Paul made disciples requires going to all nations. It requires preaching to the lost that they may be saved and baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. It requires teaching them to observe all that Jesus Christ commanded. We see Paul going, and we see Paul evangelizing, and we see Paul teaching, spending time with disciples for as long as he possibly can, and then appointing elders, pastors, teachers to continue the task that disciples might be built up and equipped for every good work. Last part of Chapter 14. They pass in verse 24 through Pisidia and come to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attilia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived, they, they gathered the church together. And they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. All that's left is for Paul and Barnabas to return to the ascending church and report back of the great work that God had done through them. And it was a great work. Not only had Paul and Barnabas preached the word, but they witnessed men and women responding to the word. Not only had men and women responded to the word, but Gentiles, Gentiles, just like us, had put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. Application and conclusion. The Great Commission is to go, therefore, And make disciples of all nations. It is a command. It's something we must do, and it's a command that comes with a benefit. Churches grow as we make disciples. We see that in Acts chapter 14. Application number one Are you a disciple? Are you a follower of Jesus? Have you adhered completely to the teachings of Jesus? Are you paying the price of discipleship? Are you committed to discipleship? Are you ready to sacrifice to be a disciple? Not to just call yourself a Christian, associating with Jesus, but are you radically sold out, hook, line, and sinker for Jesus Christ? It may be this morning that you realize that you are not confronted this morning with that truth. Are you ready to take the plunge into faith and into Christ? Jump. Count the cost and take the first step of following Christ. Repent of your sins and put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, and then empowered by His Spirit, start following Jesus Christ today. Application number two, are you a disciple? Have you already placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? Good. Very good. Now, do you hear the great commission? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. Do you hear the call to involvement, the call to arms. Are you ready to be a sender? There are a few ways you can immediately get involved. Firstly, you can pray, you can plan, and you can partner. You you can pray. Go to www.praycast.com this afternoon and start to familiarize yourself with the prayer needs of nations. Pray for the proclamation of the gospel and the salvation of the lost, especially in unreached countries with unreached population groups. If you don't know where to start, begin with the 135 million sheikh people of Bangladesh who have 0% Christians in their land. Start with the 120 million Japanese people in Japan with only 1% Christians in their land. Or the 6 million Arab people of Libya with 0% Christians in their land. Friends, pray and plan. Plan for the proclamation of the gospel and the salvation of the lost in countries. Reach out to our missions committee. Speak to Eugene, who's waving his hand now. Speak to Eugene after the service and find out how you can get involved in Central Baptist Church Pretoria's missions committee and and work alongside of them. Thirdly, you can partner. Partner with missionaries. Partner with missionaries who make disciples. Missionaries that we've sent. Go and speak to Jabu, who's waving his hand right now, somewhere in the room. Jabu, after the service. And find out how you can get involved in the support of student workers at our university campus in 2023. Application number three. Go. We need to go. Go. God's name must be worshipped in distant lands. Lands where people don't speak like us. Lands where people don't look like us. Lands where people will die in their trespasses and in their sins unless we send our children as missionaries to proclaim the truth and they are saved. Pick up your cross and go. Don't dig... Don't go to dig wells. Don't go to plant walls, paint walls. Don't go to plant vegetable gardens. Go to make disciples, young people. Don't count. Being a doctor is the greatest vocation that God might have set aside for you. A computer scientist, a chemical engineer, an office administrator. For some of you, the greatest call that God will have in your life is for you to be a mission worker and it will be of infinite greater joy to you in this life and into eternity, eternally weightier. May a call to missions which cannot be denied or refused burn in your heart and be confirmed by his people and be lived out in your life to his praise and to his glory. Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord God, we have no desire to read of a church in Antioch and look nothing like it. Change us, change our hearts. Give us a spirit, Lord God, a desire to make disciples everywhere that you have placed us. Mothers in homes, fathers over households, children in, in schools and in the universities that you have placed them, men at work. Lord God, make us disciple makers. But Lord God, also please, send us. Send us into your world. Send us to the eight billion Send us to Japan and to India and to Libya. Send us north of our borders into Muslim countries. Send us, Lord God, that we would glorify you in this place forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.